Hey, mothers and lovers. Welcome to Hella Smart Mothers. I'm your host, Nicole Delahousse. I'm a boy mom, a wife, and attorney by day. I'm sure you're wondering, what is a Hella Smart Mother? A Hella Smart Mother is a mom who wants to be the best version of herself for herself and her family, but mostly for herself. If this is you, welcome to the mom squad you never knew you needed. Hella Smart Mothers starts now. Hey, mothers and lovers. Welcome to another episode of Hella Smart Mothers. Today, we're going to have one of my uh, good friends from college, Sheena Tubbs. Um, Sheena is a family and relationship therapist, and she focuses on helping women heal from traumatic relationships and step into their ability to having healthy relationships. She is the founder of Black Girls Heal and host of a podcast of the same name. She's dope as hell, y'all, and y'all are going to get to hear some of the amazing advice that she gives us on this episode. Um, today, we're going to be discussing how we as mothers can help break the cycles of generational trauma, and she offers five really good tips to start the process. Number one, break out of the black and white and all or nothing mentality that a lot of us grew up with. Two, be available physically and mentally to your kids. Three, show your kids that you've been in their shoes and you know where they're coming from. And stay tuned for the rest of the tips right after the jump. Sheena, it's going great. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. My oldest kiddo, he had a soccer game today. So he was thankfully exhausted. And so both he and my two-year-old are now taking naps. And like that literally never happens because the four-year-old stopped taking naps like a year ago at home. (laughs) (laughs) It was your your lucky day. It is a Christmas miracle. And for that, I am thankful. And so I was like, yes, let's just talk a little bit about your background. So you are another one of my mini UT alum guests, Hook'em Horns. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so you graduated in what, 2007? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I know. When you say it out loud, it's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. for you. Like, oh, I'm getting old. Mama is getting old. Uh, <laughs> but you graduated in 2007. What was your bachelor's in? My bachelor's was in human development and family sciences with a focus of personal relationships and family sciences. So, okay. And then you went on to get your master's. And what was that in? That was in marriage and family therapy. Yeah, that's what I do. I love talking about family and generations and just changing the family system and who we are. It's my favorite stuff. That is so good. And you have your own podcast, right? Tell me a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, so my podcast is called Black Girls Heal. Um, As I have gone through my work and worked with couples and families and individuals and teenagers and all that stuff, I found that my favorite people to work with are women. And then the issue I love to work with is helping women individually have healthier relationships by unlearning all the things that we learn as little girls and coming into being grown women and learning how to attach and let down our walls and connect. And so that's what Black Girls Heal is all about, is helping us have healthy relationships um, via just naming and giving language to some of the stuff that we might call normal um, because it's been passed down culturally and through just misinformation in society and culture to actually help us have the relationships and love that we want. That sounds fantastic. And I'm definitely going to check that out. What platforms are you on? So all the listeners can tune into yours as well. 
Yeah, I am on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher as well. About to hit subscribe right now. (laughs) Fantastic. So one of the reasons that I reached out to you was because of an Instagram post that you posted about when you found out you were pregnant and some of the thoughts that you had about healthy relationships and kind of some of the dysfunctions of mother-child relationships and even some that you'd experienced personally. And I was like, wow, that speaks so much to me because I am definitely trying to do the same thing with my children. And I wanted to get someone on that was a professional that could kind of give like you said, names to some of these dysfunctions and what they look like and how we can potentially overcome them. That was, you know, super duper important to me. And so I'm so glad that we were able to coordinate this. So basically what we're talking about here today is I know some people call them generational curses, but I feel like that sounds kind of hokey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. to some people. So one of the ways that you described it, it wasn't the exact terms, but it sounded kind of like breaking generational dysfunctional patterns. So can you speak a little bit to what you mean when you talk about generational patterns that are dysfunctional? Yeah. So just patterns that stop us from actually connecting and showing who we truly are with people, being free to trust, to be open, to connect. And so the word I actually use most often that kind of throws people off or is um, kind of striking is generational trauma. Because the ways that we are misaligned and the ways that we hurt each other is traumatic. And what happens, especially in the Black community, is we have these traumatic patterns. And I'll even say with other communities of color as well, because my practice is um, multicultural. But we just have this system of saying, well, that's just how we are and kind of glamorizing when we have family that is critical or shaming or or abusive. And then as a result, because that is not healthy, we grow up as men and women with wounds. And then we pass that on to our children as well, because it's all that we know. And we've been told by everyone in the community that this is how it should be. And if you try to do something different, then you're not raising your children right, or um, you're being weak, or you're um, being a hippie, or whatever it might be. That's what I mean by generational or dysfunctional patterns. What are some examples that you've seen in your work kind of of some of those dysfunctional patterns, just so the listeners get kind of an idea of what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, again, I'm going to use Black families, but just typically. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what we know. And I think also, like I said, it's like we're part of the community that just normalizes a a lot of things that aren't healthy for us. So um, one of the things that happens a lot is we may glamorize a authoritarian parenting style, which is basically, you know, I'm the mama, you're going to do what I say, I don't really want to hear it, I don't really care how you feel, which shuts down people, it shames people for their feelings, people don't really know how to communicate. A lot of times what happens um, when you have an authoritarian parenting style only is you sever communication and learning how to actually bond with your child and your child actually feeling like she or he has a voice when they grow up. And so the way that that presents is if I have a mom who's very critical and very shamey and I can't do nothing right and I just get on her nerves and also it's kind of like this mix of sometimes she's nice to me and sometimes she's not and I don't know what to expect. 
then those are the type of relationships that I'm accustomed to as an older, as an adult. And so um, I might get in relationships with people who are there and they're present and they give me what I need on the surface, you know, so money, food, we have what we, what we might want, but emotionally they may shut me down. They may try to be in control and I'm used to appeasing and being codependent and trying to kind of just make everything right because that's what I did as a little girl. Or I'll go to the opposite side because I had a family um, that was very, like I said, shaming and shut me down. So I grew up to be very independent and I grew up to be someone who's like, I'm going to be in control and I'm going to make sure that no one takes my voice and no one takes my freedom. And as a result, it's hard for me to let my walls down. It's hard for me to compromise because I've learned subconsciously that when you compromise for someone, you give them an inch and they take a mile. And so it just really damages what intimacy looks like. You know, it's kind of this catch me too. You really want to be close to someone, but you've never had a healthy example of what it means to be close to someone without being hurt or being used against you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You said a lot of things and and I want to touch back on one of the things about like the authoritative parenting style. So I know what I see that all the time, even in my own family, where I'm a lot more, I guess, lax, if you will, with, you know, what I let my kids do. And I'm very much about explaining why I'm doing something. I'm not a big fan of because I said so, (laughs) just because it hampers critical thinking. So just because the person in authority says so, like, you're not always going to have that person in authority to tell you what to do. So if you don't know the why behind it, then you're always just going to be like, well, I just did it because my mom said to do it as opposed to I did it because if I did that thing she told me not to do, then that's dangerous or that's unhealthy or that, you know, whatever. And so how do you speak to, you know, like your patients and the people that you mentor through your foundation, like how do you help them to shift that mindset in terms of what you can do and the alternative? Yeah. One of the main things that I start with is helping people break out of the all or nothing thinking or their black and white thinking, which is um, very rigid, like this is the right way and this is the wrong way when there's a lot of gray and there's balance in the middle. And so some people who may have an authoritarian mindset or appreciate some of what that parenting style has in place is like it teaches respect, like it teaches boundaries, it teaches limits. And then there's a fear that if I don't speak or act in that way, that I'm going to raise a, a loose or wild child that's um, just going to be everywhere. But just like you were saying with your parenting style, you can have boundaries and limits and also explain and teach your child why they exist so that he or she can internalize it and grow into someone, bless you, grow into someone who can make effective, healthy decisions him or herself. You listening does not mean that you are going to cave in. All it does is that it communicates to your child that you love them, that you see them as a person, that you value their voice. And at the end of the day, you're still mom or you're still dad. And just understanding that those power dynamics doesn't have to be this really harsh and conflictual um, relationship, right? You can have a little bit of both. That's good. So part of your teaching is kind of helping us correct course, but what are some of the ways that we can recognize when we're perpetuating those dysfunctional behaviors, those traumatic behaviors, what are some of the signs we can look to in terms of how our children are responding and reacting? 
Yeah. So I think sometimes it's best to actually start with us because if we're doing something that we've always done, we don't really know if it's unhealthy or not. And so it might not be on our radar. I like to talk to parents to figure out what your triggers are. So when was a time that your child said or did something that you might have personalized? You had a response that was bigger than maybe the situation really called for. So you had an extreme reaction, you lost control of your anger, and it wasn't just because of the normal, like your kid was like yelling and screaming all day and it just got on your nerves, but that you were like deeply afraid or offended. Because one of the things that I share with people is that if your reaction is hysterical, that means it's historical. So that means it's not really about your child or your partner or whoever else around. It's really about an internal wound that you haven't gotten fixed. So, for example, just to kind of take it out of the parenting context for a little bit is say one of my biggest negative core beliefs about myself is that I'm secretly not smart, like I'm I'm dumb. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, insults me and says they think I'm stupid, I'm probably going to have a bigger reaction than if someone comes up to me and says, Sheena, you're so short. And listeners don't know this, but I'm pretty tall. And right. so like if someone <laughs> if someone says, Sheena, you're short, I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm obviously not short. I'm a tall woman. There's something wrong with you. But if I really think that I'm dumb and you're calling me out on being dumb, then I'm going to get really emotional and I'm going to get really hurt. And so... When I'm able to figure out what is actually about me and take care of me, then it makes it easier for me to respond and communicate with people, including my children, in a way that doesn't doesn't make me feel like I need to have that control and have that last say. As far as signs of what happens with our children, though, because I do want to answer that question, is if you do notice that your child just kind of like shrinks back and not even physically, but just like they don't really come and talk to you about a lot of things. Um, they don't open up to you as much. They may open up to other people. Um, they might be a little bit dishonest. Um, anger is another really big sign because children, you know, they're not vocal. They don't really know how to express what they're feeling. So if they feel there's a lack of control they have in their environment, they might have more tantrums. Um, they might feel more sad. It might be harder for them to focus because they store stress in their bodies. So if you notice that, it's not necessarily that they have a behavior problem. It might just be that they're feeling depressed. It might be that they're feeling alone and they're just trying to figure it out themselves. And so um, just taking a step back and talking with your child about what's going on and to have the conversation be open. Um, One thing that I see a lot that just kind of reinforces the wounds is, you know, you love your child so much and you really want to know what's going on. And so you say, well, what's going on? And they're afraid to tell you or they don't know how to tell you. And then you get angry because you feel like they're purposefully (laughs) not communicating. (laughs) And then they see you getting angry and they shut down even more. You really have to give them space to communicate how they need. What are some good pointers for that? Because, you know, my kids are young. So thankfully, I don't have that issue yet. And I'm trying really, really hard to keep this foundation of, you know, you can tell mommy and daddy anything. I can't promise my reaction is always going to be what you want it to be. But you can definitely tell us and working on, you know, seeing things much more objectively in terms of 
this person is developing, their brain chemistry is, you know, their brains aren't developed fully. They're not thinking in terms of, you know, what a rational (laughs) adult Mm -hmm. would be thinking and trying to make sure I'm having much more of a, a rational response to them, even though, you know, what they're telling me or what their behavior or whatever it is, is seemingly not rational because that's Mm -hmm. what kids do. So what are some pointers, I guess, that you would have for that older age range when they are being a little bit more secretive and evasive because they're trying to come into their own identities and personalities and that kind of thing? How would you suggest? Yeah, I don't want to say being your kid's friend, but, you know, getting the tea, finding out what's going on with them so you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they need to know that you're available. And so there's two main things that I would suggest. First is spending quality time with them, uh, which is different than, you know, if you drive your kids to school or, you know, if everyone's sitting around watching TV, but quality one-on-one, we're just going to hang out time together. Because one of the things that I didn't mention is emotional neglect and how that is a really big trigger um, that causes people to have unhealthy relationships later on. And so what this might look like is, again, if you have a household where you have everything you need, you know, food, clothes, money, all that stuff, but mom or dad is always working, they seem like they're too busy and not because they don't want to spend time with you, but just there's not enough time in the day. Um, You can start to internalize that work and other things are more important, which leads to more beliefs about yourself down the road. And so I can't tell you how many parents that I've seen that I assign them, okay, you and your daughter need to have like a weekly, just 20, 30 minutes together. There's you and her, not the other siblings. And just the way that the children like blossom and they open up because they feel seen. They feel like you actually enjoy them as a person versus you have to take care of them. And these, of course, are not things that you will say to them directly, but this is what a child picks up. And so having time together. The second thing is the older your child gets, the more they respond to disclosure. And so when they're younger, the whole, you know, this is why you need to do this and kind of like the logical or rational explanation will do. The older a child gets, they need to know that you're a real person and that you understand. And so sometimes if you say they are having problems at school and you know about it because the teacher told you, but they're not opening up to you at home, if you come and you say what's going on at school, they're not going to open up. But if you start up the conversation with, you know, when I was your age, there was this girl that used to pick on me and it made me feel this, this, and this way. And Ooh, that's um, good. Yeah. And then I did this. And what's really good that parents sometimes, some parents don't like to do is when the story doesn't end with how you defended yourself so well and how you triumphed. But if you did it, if you talk about how it was really hard and you're really vulnerable and you try to stand up to her, but she laughed in your face and you had to learn X, Y, and Z, they need to know that tender, open human side of you. And so the more you do that, the more they feel like they can reciprocate and build that trust with you. You know, I've heard obviously about giving the explanations and all that kind of stuff, but I hadn't heard about the disclosure part of it. And I really, really like that. And so I definitely hope you mothers and mother lovers, you listeners are hearing that and that, you know, you kind of put that in your parenting repertoire because that's a really good point. Can I just say one more thing about that? 
Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just real quick, because older kids and teenagers, they are huge bullshit detectors. Yeah. And so the more they feel like you're being fake or disingenuous, the more they're going to pull back. And also, I know parents, you might hear this all the time that your kids are watching you. But literally, I, I, part of my history is that I used to work as a school counselor for um, several years. But when I say that your kids will look at you, roll their eyes at you, give you the worst <laughs> attitude in the world, and then they will come to school and tell me exactly what you said word for word, um, even when you thought they didn't care that you were having an attitude because you were so upset about their attitude, mm-hmm. they are internalizing everything. And so just remember that, stay encouraged. After high school, it'll get better. But like right now, <laughs> you might not be able to see all the fruits of what you're giving them. So. I'm going to tell you, I was a butt hole between the ages <laughs> of about 12 to 19 so I'm like you know if my boys give me the business between those ages I ain't even tripping because I deserve you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mom, we had it out we had literally from I feel like the day I turned 12 I went to sleep and then I woke up and I turned into this like hormonal monster who thought I was smarter than everybody else and yeah. never wanted wanted to listen to my mom. I had a couple of family members that, you know, I really took stock in what they said, but like, I don't know, me and my mom, we were oil and water literally until probably my sophomore year of college. And then finally I was like, okay, I see why you did the things you did don't necessarily say I will always agree with them and I probably wouldn't do it that way with my children, but I get it. And so I hope I will always remember that and stay encouraged that even when my kids are giving me the business, Mm -hmm. (laughs) eventually they will remember. And so I hope all the listeners, if you're in the throes of that crazy hormonal adolescent phase, it gets better. I promise. Yeah. Yes. Um, Wait a little bit, but yes. Yes. And you can't take it personally. I think that's the other big thing that so many parents and, you know, obviously I said my kids are so young, I'm not there yet, but I think so many parents, they take it like a personal affront. And I think we have to remember to take our like feelings out of that situation. And I know that's really hard because they're your children. And especially like I always joke around and I'm like, man, the day that my boys start being all stank and like, they don't want to talk to me or whatever. I'm going to just be like, Oh, Oh really? The one who followed Mm -hmm. me in the bathroom to watch me pee, who would literally (laughs) cry, beat down the door to get in the bathroom with me. This is how you're going to act. Yeah. And like trying to remember like that. It's not a personal affront to me. That's just, you know, they're developing, they're trying to find their own. And it's hard to to have that balance between having a mom who's telling you and asking you to do X, Y, Z, and trying to become your own person. And that those two conflicting things cause, hell, it causes turmoil in adults whose frontal lobes are fully formed. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. If I could add a little bit to that, your kids, sometimes they are trying to hurt you as a part of their development and trying to flex and have their own independence. It doesn't make it right, but it is normal and developmental. But as far as, you know, not taking it personally, I would kind of add to that, that it's, it's okay 
for you to take it personally because part of that is good emotional um, self-care to acknowledge that you are human and when another human being treats you and dismisses you and takes you for granted and is just so mean to you, especially when you have so much history of love and giving, um, that can feel very devastating. But what you do with that and acknowledging that is that you also know that this child, this person in front of me, even if they end up being taller than you due to puberty, they cannot give you and they cannot save you from those feelings. Um, they're not capable of it. So you right. need to, you know, God willing, maybe you have a partner. If you don't have a partner, you have a group of mom friends. You have a Facebook group. You have other people that you're going to to check in with this stuff because parenthood is super hard. Um incredibly hard and there's no break from it. You can't clock in and clock out. Right, and right, so you right. need to have those touch points um, to or take to care of you. That, or you have a therapist. Listen, pretty much yeah. every episode that I've had, I've been like, get a therapist, get yeah. a therapist. I'm so glad that it's so much less taboo now, especially in our community when for so many years it's been so taboo that it's starting to kind of like shatter that. And I'm all about being a voice to be like, you're not crazy yeah. because you're going to see a therapist. That's probably one of the least crazy things <laughs> we mm -hmm. can do. And so just to kind of back up to where we were talking about being emotionally available and being available and spending time, quality time, all that kind of stuff with your kids and efforts to raise them into good humans uh, <laughs> on the kind of far left of that. What would you advise parents, you know, our generation and the younger and the generations under us, there people say about how codependent they are, how fragile they are, how weak are they. And I say they, we, because I, I guess technically I'm lumped into the millennial, <laughs> mm -hmm. the millennial age bracket. And because they were too coddled, what is something that you would advise in terms of making sure that we raise, you know, resilient kids, kids who know that we are there for them emotionally and know that we're there to help them, but we're not always, I think they call it lawnmower parenting now. You're not always constantly mowing the path for them. What advice would you give to try to steer away from that? Yeah, I think the open conversations that we talked about earlier, using those for positive conversations as well as negative and consequences. So just constantly just talking about how you do life and why you do life that way and asking what they think about morals and boundaries. I think some of the classic parenting advice still holds true. So the TV shows that your kids watch, you watch them too, and you have conversations about it. And conversations, especially when they're older, are not lectures. It's not so, you know, if you ever did what Sally did on, on the show, then you are a fool. And learning to just ask, so what do you think about what she's doing right now on the show? And let them have their opinion and then having a dialogue about it. Because again, they're listening to you. And then also, I think the reason why this generation, our generation, but especially the one that's coming up, can seem so fragile is because they are inundated with all of the pressure and all the comparison and all the bullying 24 seven when yes. we could go home and check out and like be at home and not have access to it. And they're, they're literally flood, flooded with it. And so the only way that you can really stop that, because I know some people say, well, I'm not going to give my kids phones and everything else. I just, I think that's one of the inevitable things that will happen in this life. Maybe you might wait longer than other ones, but you can't stop them from that exposure. 
is also you having social media accounts and watching what's going on and talking with them about it and just being present because they need those advocates. Um, they're going to hide things from you sometimes and they need to know that they can come to you when they're scared um, to figure it out. That is really, really good advice. In terms of social media, what are your takes on that? We were lucky in terms of Facebook, MySpace, all that stuff didn't even come about until we were in college, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of kids having Facebook, w- would you say that there's like, or face, or not Facebook, because Facebook's for us old dinosaurs, I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Instagram yeah. and Snapchat, Twitter and Instagram. And those are the top three. That's and I, I don't even have a Snapchat. Like, I don't even know what Snapchat's for. That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> what are some good boundaries and guidelines to set with the social media beyond, you know, being a follower or a friend or like whatever? Yeah. So the one that I will want to do when my child is old enough that I don't I'm be real, I don't know how good I'm going to be able to follow through with it. But I think curfews are really important in that they turn in their phone to you at a certain Mm -hmm. time um, because all the stuff goes down in the DMs late at night. These kids are like Mm -hmm. late at night, um, you know, delirious, bullying each other in their mirrors, posting pictures, throwing slugs, all that stuff. And then of course, there's also when predators um, are really active too when they know that parents aren't around. So I think having that kind of cut off Um, having some kind of limits that way is really good. And then also I think having a lot of experiences, if you can, if you're lucky enough to where you have time in your schedule with the one-on-one time to go out and do things as a family to counteract, we don't need a screen to have fun. We can put our phones away and connect. Keep them so busy. They don't even have time to. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And even if you can't do that again, because you know, I mean, our society and the world we live in and some of our work schedules, but at least, you know, like we can go to the museum or we can go to the park or we can go to this carnival or something without our phones. And look, we're smiling and laughing just as much as you would have been if you were looking at memes on Instagram. You know, right. like you don't have to be plugged in to have joy. Um, they need to know that. I think that's important for both children and adults, because, man, I'm not going to front like. Sometimes I'll just glance at my husband and the kiddos and I'll have a phone in one hand. Mark will have a phone in one hand. Asher will be watching something on kids YouTube. And like yeah. my baby will be oblivious and like sitting on somebody's lap that has a phone. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, oh, oh, my goodness. Like what example, you know, are we setting right now? And we, we try to limit the screen time period just because they're so young. Like you said, they're watching. So we need to exhibit that same behavior. There's no rule written. That's the other reason why it's hard for the generation coming up and us too, because we're having to figure out all this stuff day by day. And then there's new stuff all the time. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Well, man, Sheena, this has been... I know there are a lot of people that are going to be able to use this information. You know, a lot of my friends... We have really young children, so we're not quite at that phase of parenting yet. But I do have a lot of friends whose kids are either in the tween stage or coming into the teen stage, and they're freaking out a little bit. You know, like you said, this is a whole new ball game. the way that technology has shifted everything. 
And they're just trying to figure it out day by day, figure out the rights, the wrongs without being too smothering, but without being too hands off. And the information that you gave is super helpful. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. I do have one more wild card question before we get off. Just for the listeners, what is the craziest thing someone has said to you while pregnant? Oh, gosh. So I feel like I'm kind of lucky because I haven't had anything that off the wall. Um, (laughs) Some people have said to me, yes, so far, thank God. But um, what I will say that I really don't appreciate and don't like is when people give unsolicited advice and when they say it in a really condescending way. One way that it happens a lot is people will ask me, so how are you doing? And, you know, and then I'll answer and then they'll say, well, you know, that's normal or you should really do this, this and this and this. And I'm like, one, I didn't ask you Two, I'm a healthy, responsible, grown woman who's taking care of myself. Um, three, you ain't in my body. So I just right? need you to <laughs> just back up. Back I up. Just smile. I just smile. Um, some people have actually just, when I see them coming, I go the other way. Ah! But, um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> or we don't talk about it. I've had to tell them straight out, look, stop saying that. But yeah, I hate the unsolicited advice. All right, Miss Sheena, thank you so much. And again, everybody, follow her on all the things. You are, what are your handles? What social yeah. media platforms are you on? So I am on Instagram and Facebook. The best way to stay in contact with me is Instagram for updates. My handle is at Black Girls Heal underscore. You can find me on Facebook at Black Girls Heal. There, I also have a Facebook group um, with a growing community where we talk about podcast episodes and people check in about their relationships. If you are a woman who has persistent relationship issues, um, married or single or coupled, um, Black Girls Heal is what that is built for. So you can check out blackgirlsheal.org and just see the programming, see if it might fit for you. And then, of course, check out. Do you have any new and upcoming things that the listeners should know about? Yes, I have a free masterclass that's all about how to stop dating the wrong person. You know, so you get out of a relationship and... The next person is a different face with the same issues. They seem perfect or whatever, and it just keeps happening. So I go over the three mistakes why that keeps happening, and then also six steps for you to take to start to break that pattern. You can either go directly to the website, or you can go to blackgirlsheal.org slash masterclass, find the time that works for you, and yeah. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. Okay, (laughs) I love it. Sheena, you're doing such amazing things for the culture, for the people. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. So thank you you again. Oh, my gosh, y'all. I told y'all that was going to be dope. Um, Yeah. So Sheena dropped some amazing knowledge about breaking the cycles of generational trauma. Um, so definitely be sure to check her out on Instagram at blackgirlshill underscore and check out her podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It is an amazing show and she gives really, really, really good advice on relationships and, and truly healing, you know, your traumas from childhood. Um, so just a quick pivot. I'm going to give you guys two gold stars today because I want to end on a positive note. So we're not going to put anybody in the corner this week. Um, but my two gold stars are for one lash MD eyelash serum. Y'all, 
I was getting eyelash extensions for a couple of years and it legit broke my eyelashes off. Like I had tiny little nubs. Um, and so over the past like six months or so, I've definitely been trying to grow them out. And I found this Lash MD um, eyelash serum actually in one of my FabFitFun boxes. And it has like grown my eyelashes out to like three times the length that they were. So I definitely advocate Lash MD eyelash serum if you have tiny little nubby eyelashes like I had from the damage that my lash extensions did to my eyelashes. <laughs> um, and secondly, I want to give like a million gold stars to Blended Designs. Um, Blended Designs is an apparel provider that provides like backpacks, lunchboxes, pencil bags, that kind of thing that have black and brown kids and they have some they have a line for adults as well but I uh, purchased two backpacks for my sons and one for my niece um and when my four-year-old got his backpack he looked at it and he was just like oh mommy that looks just like me and he was so excited and it made me feel so happy you know that he had something that he truly thought looked like him so guys representation truly 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 matters so if you have a little black or brown kid um that you'd like for them to see themselves in their backpacks or their lunch boxes or their pencil bags or whatever definitely go over to blended designs they're also on instagram at blended designs um and also go to their website at blendeddesigns.com this is completely gratuitous i was just so happy to see such beautiful well-made like the quality is amazing and their customer service was amazing i ordered those backpacks and they were here within two days so definitely check out blended De blended designs and lash md eyelash serum all right mothers and lovers thanks for listening to another episode and have a wonderful week bye y'all this episode of hella smart mothers was hosted researched and produced by nicole delahuse show advisor was natasha lafere sound editor and audio engineer for this episode was emmanuel olabinga Hey guys, don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your time with the mom squad you never knew you needed.